one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to thirty six percent better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a one dollar a month trial period at Shopify.com/arsblog. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/arsblog now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/arsblog. Toujours Kieran Tierney. Oh, il est passé les cossins. Penalty pour Arsenal. Il y a Alexandre Lacazette. Alexandre Lacazette. Oh, c'est parti pour Chaka. Granit Chaka. Avec Bukayo Saka. Oh, Bukayo Saka. Magnifique. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James. I mean, I know we've used that before, but these fuckers nice. have got to win more than one game for us to start producing new jingles for Goodly Morning. I mean, look, I loved it. It was great. But come on, guys, you're, you're getting recycled stuff here until you win like four or five in a row. I agree. And also, if there is an appropriate tune for this morning and this podcast, it's surely the Hallelujah (laughs) Chorus. I mean, a a huge relief, a Christmas miracle. Arsenal Mm. won a football match in the Premier League. Amazing. My brother texted me at halftime and he went, you're winning? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was an unfamiliar experience uh, all round to be in the lead for starters and then to actually win a game. I'm still reeling from it to be you, honest and I look there. forward to our yeah I know I was there you and I tell you what actually I um, I was there and behind me was one of the guys who works for the club he was sort of one of the stewards essentially who mm. was kind of you know chaperoning the journalists on the day but not only was he someone who worked there he was clearly a massive Arsenal fan um, and it was quite amazing because it was like there was a crowd of one in the stadium. He was <laughs> reacting to everything at full volume. So like every goal, the penalty shout. I remember like every sort of football fan cliche you can imagine. Like you're a disgrace referee or brilliant. She, 
Yeah, she fell over. There was a lot of that where every time a Chelsea player went down, it was like a one-man crowd. And I, uh, whoever you are, I salute you and I thank you because it, it really lent something to the occasion for me being there in the flesh. Well done, that man. Well done, that man. I mean, why wouldn't you get into it? You know, and uh, I mean, it's true. What happens on the pitch transmits itself to the crowd, even if it yeah, is exactly. just one guy. <laughs> the chemistry was alive and well, let me tell you, at the Emirates. But yeah, I... I I came into this match with, I, I reflect on it now and think I had almost no hope mm. of a result. I was just kind of thinking already ahead to Brighton, you know, we've got to get this one out of the way, another defeat, then we get into an easier run of games. Mm. So to get a win, I mean, it does feel weird, doesn't it? It feels legitimately odd to be doing this podcast. It, it's Yes, it does feel a bit weird and odd because it has been basically two months since we won a Premier League game. So... Mm. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's odd, but I like it. I really like it. I yeah, liked writing the blog on Sunday morning. You know, I didn't wake up on Sunday morning and think, oh, fuck, fuck. I've got to, mm. like, try and find some perspective on another defeat, another performance. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? You know, it's a refreshing change to win football matches. And I really feel like we should do it more often with much greater frequency. So there's the big yeah. lesson from this weekend. But yeah, like you, I was, you know, before the game, definitely not expecting this. I thought maybe, maybe we might snatch a draw. There was a moment um, on mm, Friday, Friday night. That was Christmas night, right? So it was Christmas uh, night. Yeah. yeah. And I was sort of sitting up and I'd, you know, I'd had a few glasses of wine and a thought went across my head, and it was Arsenal 4, Chelsea 0, just for a second. And then I went, you are, just shut up, brain. Shut up, you stupid fucking brain asshole. What are you on about? There's no way that could happen. And it, Jesus, it nearly happened. So, <laughs> it maybe. It really did. Yeah. yeah, by the width of the crossbar from that Mohamed Elneny rocket, oh, we would have goodness. had our fourth. Yeah. Some clarity in Rioja, I don't know what it is. but But look... Let's get into it then, because, you know, it, it was fun. It was great. It was a relief. I mean, I think the relief part of it is 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 significant, no? I mean, mm. we, we won a game. I think we deserved to win it. There were lots of things that we can talk about that we liked. But I think just taking that weight off after so long without winning is, is a big part of why we all feel... Um, well, inflated, I guess, is the opposite of deflated because that's what we have been after after this run we've been on. I think so, yeah. And I think there are sort of a few circumstantial things that you could kind of couch this victory with, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that uh, yet because I think the first thing to do really is to sort of celebrate it and just be yeah. over the moon that we've won. Not just any game either, a big game, a London derby, um against, you know, a side who spent a lot of money in the summer, are very fancied this season, were very fancied going into this match. Mm. And, yeah, I'm just really pleased for the Arsenal fans particularly mm. because, wow, they've been through the mill in the last couple of months. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it would be also worth pointing out that Chelsea are cunts. And it's yes, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt, does no. it? That kind of thing. It certainly doesn't. So, the team... The team. Yes. What was I mean, your I, What was your first thought when you saw the lineup? 
Uh, I have to be honest and say I feared the worst, actually. I just... There was just something about the the fact that more players were missing mm. than I necessarily was expecting, even if I wasn't desperate for some of those players to play. Uh, I just sort of suddenly thought, ooh, this feels like the kind of thing that, you know, when you're mm. down, you lose players and you look weak. And also, the Chelsea team was much stronger than I was anticipating. So Ben Chilwell and Reese James were both yeah. expected to miss the game and then started out of nowhere. So it caught me slightly on the back foot and I thought, ah, their team's stronger than I thought and ours is maybe a tiny bit weaker. Of course, I was wrong. Our team was perhaps stronger than the expected lineup. Did you sense that immediately? Uh, well, once the game started, I thought we started really brightly. Um, mm. So it did help dispel some of the concerns that I had. And look, I'm not going to lie and say I was displeased to see Emil Smith-Rowe starting and Gabrielle Martinelli starting. I think, you know, you can separate the two things. You can be slightly concerned because this was Smith-Rowe's, what, only his second ever Premier League yeah. start. Um, the last know, one was in that Freddie Umberg game at Everton where he played all the kids about yeah, a year ago. exactly. And, you know, uh, I had no appetite whatsoever to see some of the old familiar faces. And we'll get into some of that a bit later on, I'm sure, because we do have we do have some questions. But... I had no appetite to see them, but at the same time, you know, it, it's hard not to think, well, geez, this is a kid being thrown in right at the yeah. fucking deep end here. Because, you know, after everything that's gone on, after two points from our last seven games with the pressure mounting, you're you're facing a team like Chelsea, um, you know, to throw him in. Some people would say, well, you're asking too much of him. You know, it's desperation or whatever it is. But, you know, at the same time, if you want things to change... There aren't too many other options. So, you know, I was hopeful. I was glad to see him, but I was worried that he might, you know, get swallowed up against, you know, the quality and the experience of of Chelsea's midfield. Yeah, I, I had the same sort of combination of excitement and trepidation. You know, I'm someone who mm. said, you know, we need more creativity. Let's play Emil Smith-Rowe. We haven't got a number 10. Let's play mm. Emil Smith-Rowe. And then he was picked. And I was like, well, obviously not now. Don't do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think that was just, you know, a bit of fear really in me because there was a bit of fear coming into this fixture about how it might play out. You know, I, it, what, I know you said you had a, a vision of a 4-0 Arsenal win, but it probably wasn't beyond the realms of possibility to fear it might have gone the other way, you know, that we could have been heavily beaten in this game. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I completely agree with you. I had the same the same kind of muddle of uh, excitement and, and fear. Did you have any fear around Martinelli? Like No, less no. so, less yeah. so. And... Um, Bear in mind as well, like when I say I had concerns about the lineup, it wasn't just about Smith Rowe, it was also about someone like Pablo Marie, for example, mm. who is relatively, you know, untested in the Premier League. Um, he's barely played since he signed for us due to a number of different reasons. So yeah. there were concerns all over the pitch. It wasn't just Smith Rowe. Martinelli, sure. though, I was thrilled that he started. Yeah. And after what we'd seen against Man City, I didn't feel in much doubt that he would you know, that he would do what we wanted him to do. Yeah, assuming he was fit enough and the, the kick yeah. didn't hurt, uh, you know, didn't affect him that much, which it clearly didn't. I mean, there were other things as well. Granit Xhaka back in the team after yeah. his um, idiocy against Burnley. And, you know, uh, I, I I try more than ever 
to stay away from the the lineup discussion and the lineup debate. Um, I'm sure that, that didn't hour. go down well. Though. No, but I did notice that there were some people who weren't exactly pleased by that. You know, mm. so you know, all of those factors um, made me a little bit worried, of course. But at the same time, you're pleased to see something different. And one of the things I think we've said on on this podcast is that Mikel Arteta would not get a pass, but certainly. Uh, a bit more understanding and a bit more patience from fans if the lineup showed that there were consequences for players who weren't playing as well as they could or should or weren't putting in the requisite effort. Now, there's another uh, aspect to that, and we don't know or we can only speculate really uh, as to what the lineup might have been if some of those changes weren't in force because of the situations. Obviously, Gabriel is going to miss the next three games because of his close contact with a COVID-19 um, positive person. And Willian and David Luiz were both sick. Uh, I'm not going to explore that anymore at this point. I do have a question uh, for later in the podcast. But um, I don't think it's really worth going into too much about what he would have done if those players had been available. We can only really talk about what he did with what he had. And it was a brave enough selection. I think it paid off. Um, We started the game brightly. There was an early chance for Martinelli. And I think we looked like a team which was, I don't want to say up for it. I think balanced is the word I would use. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And and, and a lot of my, um, like I say, my fears were kind of allayed in those first few minutes because I saw, like I'm just looking through my notes now and I had mm. the first seven minutes quite good. Um, and I think, you know, there was a moment where quite early on, I think it was Smith Rowe kind of uh, came into the back of N'Golo Kante, pinched the ball off him. And Arteta kind of sprung to life and was clapping on the sidelines. And I thought, okay, there's a bit of pressing happening here. Mm. There's a bit more energy in this lineup. I mean, that was, you know, I don't want to dismiss the quality of these young players because it's they have it in abundance. But I did think your, your eyes told you there was a difference in energy, I think, yeah. in the way we played. Yeah, I, you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. And, you know, it's not just because they can run around that they're in the team. You know they're in the team because they're they're good players, but I think there is something about young players. Um, well, I was I was listening to Roberto Martinez, Roberto Martinez uh, on You're the right. Jamie Carragher podcast, and he was talking about how what did what phrase did he use? It's something like you know young players are are really brave because they haven't been hurt yet by results and performances and defeats. And I think there is something to that, is that they, they, they're not inhibited by traumatic incidents of the past, if you like. They're mm. just going to go out there and play the way they think they want to play or the way that they should play. Um, so I think there was something, something to that in the way that we started the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do remember early on an incident that made me think, oh, we might be in trouble here. And that was where... Do you remember Granite Shaka making a foul kind of on the edge of our own box uh, in what I can only sort of call classic Granite Shaka fashion? Um, yeah. And I thought, ah, that, that feels a bit familiar and that feels a bit troubling. But uh, I, I did think that we, we started well. We, I mean, Mason Mount hit the post quite early on. Well, that was from the free kick. The, was uh, that from that, that Yeah, foul? that was from that foul. So... Um... Yeah, there were a couple of moments. You know, there was that. There was the Pablo Marie foul 
Um, yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a, that was a heavy foul. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen it back, but I've got to say in the ground, I mean, it was one of those you heard, you know. It oh, was yeah. A, it was a heavy, heavy challenge. And uh, the guy behind me, I remember saying, don't worry, ref, he's just got ring rust at that point. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, just that's about right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, there were a couple of worrying signs. I mean, one of the, the big themes, I think, of this game and of Arsenal's recent performances is how important the first goal is. Yeah. And I almost don't think it could be overstated. I mean, Arsenal hadn't taken the lead in a game since the win at Old Trafford, I believe. Mm. Hadn't been ahead at half-time since the opening day against Fulham. Um, so, I, I, you know, if that Mason Mount free kick goes the other side of the post and goes in, it's maybe a different game. And this yeah. is a match where the margins went in our favour. And I would probably uh, include the, the penalty award in that. Ooh. Well, I was quite interested that on on Sky, Gary mm. Neville, I, look, it was maybe a little bit a little bit light, but you mm. see those given all the time. So I'm. I, I think. I think what we need to look at for the penalty is. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen people say, "Look, uh, Arsenal won the game, but it was a penalty. It was a like once in a lifetime free kick from Shaka, and obviously a brilliant finish from Bakayo Saka, who who, oh, who certainly absolutely meant, it. meant that. Absolutely yeah. meant it. He said so <laughs> afterwards, and we can take the man at his word. But you know. The the penalty came about because we were playing in Chelsea's final third. Yeah. You know, we'd combined, there was this moment, I think, to win the penalty when Smith Rowe, uh, Martinelli and Tierney combined. And I was sitting there looking at it going, this is the future I want to see. This is mm. this is our bright new future down that left-hand side. I mean, Tierney and Martinelli's combination play and their understanding of each other, given how little they've played together, is fucking fantastic. And I think yeah. it's one of the real positives that we can take from this game, not just those two as individuals, but the way they combine and the way they seem to understand each other. But, you know, we got that corner. We then, um, I think we took a short corner. It was over hit. Bellerin kept it alive. Shaka played a really good pass inside to Tierney, who drove into the box. And if it was a bit light, so fucking what? You know, we've had plenty of those <laughs> yeah. go against us. And and you're rewarded for for the for the way you're trying to play. You're not going backwards. You're not like you're not taking a corner and a short corner ends up back with Burned Leno. You know what I mean? There is the difference. It's the, it's the intent with which you play. And if you make, um, I think it was Alex Scott uh, saying on Sky afterwards. You know, if you're the fullback and the guy has got beyond you, you've just got to kind of, you know, suck it up and don't make a challenge because if you make any kind of challenge in that area, the guy's going to go down. And it's going to be a penalty. So, end of story for me. Penalty. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, if you hang a leg out, you know, mm. or, or at all at that point in the box, you're in trouble. Yeah, I don't care, but I still think it was soft. Right. But I was absolutely delighted to take it. And I think you make a good point about Tierney. I mean, Tierney was brilliant on the night, and he put in quite a number of sort of uh, crosses and deliveries from wide areas. But one of the things that was really interesting is if you think about the Spurs game, for example, when, you know, we were ridiculed for making so many crosses, so many mm. of Tierney's particularly were from about 30 yards out. In this game, almost every delivery he made, he got beyond yeah. the kind of 18-yard line. 
And he did that much, much better. I mean, partly I think Chelsea uh, allowed us to do it, but his combination with Martinelli got him to the byline and it made him much, much more dangerous. Yeah. That was a really interesting development. And and to point out their partnership is right. I remember it was one of Tierney's first ever games. Um, it might even have been his debut. I'm not sure. But he, he was asked about Martinelli in a post-match interview and he said, you know, Gabby's a great guy and we really get on and I love playing with him. And it's been true really since the start. They just yeah. seem to have a very natural, easy chemistry. Um, and obviously there's a balance there because while Tierney wants to sort of get to the byline and put crosses in, Martinelli, he wants to end up around the penalty spot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought they were both brilliant and it's no surprise really that the vast majority of Arsenal's attacks came down that flank. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and it, it is hard not to look at those two. You know, if you're looking for positives, if you're looking for things we can build on, that partnership mm. um, certainly augurs well for for what's to come. And I think, you know, just talking about that passage of play again, it's worth pointing out that, you know, we'd started brightly. Chelsea got back into it. They were certainly on top. There was a little bit of last-ditch defending from us uh, because they have... They have players who can run at you and dribble, and there were a couple of moments where we had to make some last-ditch tackles. But we got mm-hmm. back into it. We turned it around. We weathered that storm. And I, I think in the in the sort of three or four minutes leading up to the penalty, we were causing Chelsea problems. It was just before that, actually, I think, that, that Bellerin created that chance for Smith-Rowe. You know, yep. we worked it well down the right-hand side, and unfortunately he kicked fresh air. But, you know, the the, the, the fact we were creating that kind of a chance is, is a marked improvement on what we've seen from Arsenal. And then, of course, we go on and we get the penalty, and, and fair play, like I said, he tooks it away. What did you make of that Smith-Rowe chance? I saw on Twitter Bellerin taking a lot of criticism for the delivery. I thought that was a bit harsh, personally. I think it's a bit harsh. You know, it's just one of those where maybe both of them were not quite uh, 100%, but you know, yeah. I think we need to focus on the fact that we were making that kind of a chance when in the last few weeks we couldn't buy that, you know? Yeah, so- absolutely. And the wing-backs were, well, interestingly, I say wing-backs... They well, were fullbacks, full yeah. you know. They were playing. I mean, as always with Arteta, you know, had on any dropping into the back three a bit, but back two rather. But they were really pressing on, getting high. They were providing both real threat. They were both really good. I thought Bellerin mm-hmm. had his best game for for quite some time. He always does against Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, and as captain as well. So, um, so look, you know, the 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 goal from Granite Xhaka, uh, just I yeah. mean. <laughs> What what a hit. Um, I mean, it's overdue, in fairness. You know, he's taken a few free kicks uh, in his time. I, was it was it last season or the season before? I think it was the season before he scored one against Crystal Palace. When we were wearing yeah. that disgusting... Li- no, what what colour would you call that? I don't know. Sick, coloured, turquoise yeah, shirt. Yeah, that was a brilliant free kick from the corner of the box, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was sort of out wide area and he, he put it top corner. So it's been a while... Um, you know, I think he had that iffy moment early on when he gave away that free kick in classic Xhaka style. Even Gary Neville was going, well, you know, I always say about Granit Xhaka, he gives away 500 free kicks in a game. And I don't think this time he's, he's really done that. He takes a look at the replay and goes, oh, oh, he did. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, but I thought he grew into the game very well. I thought he had a, you know, a really good game. I've got a question about him later, so we won't expand on it too much. But he had a very good game, and that's a hell of a free kick. It is. And actually, in fairness to him, I saw 
Orbino tweeted saying that he's taken 20 free kicks in the Premier League for Arsenal and scored three, which is not that's bad. not actually a bad return. Um, 6% conversion rate, apparently, since 2016. But I, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a strike. And Arsenal, do you remember they tried to take a quick free kick? Yeah. They played it short and it was pulled back. And yeah, I mean, anyone who thought that Lacazette and Shaka would be our scorers and we'd be 2 0 up, I mean, I take my hat off to them because mm. those are guys that have been maligned. But actually, they both looked better, I think, with having movement around them you know that's not their strong suit they're players who are better in small spaces but we had plenty of players next to them and in front of them who could provide that counterbalance and mm. I think it helped them both no I agree I agree uh the importance of movement is something we've spoken about many times uh when it comes to yeah. to adding to the creative um impact we can have in the opposition final third and there was more movement I mean you have someone like Martinelli who is just um, he's just a I don't quite know how to describe him he never stops moving he would be an absolute nightmare to play against if you're a defender yeah. you know and there were moments for him uh, he had that that overhead kick he had that chance that Tierney set up for him mm. you know where is he where is he taking those chances basically around the penalty spot you know, or in that line at the center of the goal, but he's playing from the left-hand side, so the defenders are, you know, how the fuck do you manage a guy like that? So, you know, that that kind of impact um, is really important for a team. Yeah, absolutely. He is a live wire. You know, he is. He's that's a, that's the, the word I was looking guy. for. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, you know, I, I'm not saying this really to be critical of Aubameyang, but I do think some of Martinelli's movement shamed him a little bit I, I really do I know there's a decade between them but I just thought uh, he was extraordinary in terms of finding space in terms of being prepared to run in behind mm. to make movements off the ball for passes that aren't always going to come I just thought he was fantastic and you know that that kind of persistent energy it reminds you of I, I think Luis Suarez is a, is a good comparison if you take out all the horrible biting and things like that and that, even Alexis Sanchez, who had that kind of ability mm. to just sort of energise a team through uh, sheer effort at times. Yeah. And yeah, Martinelli was brilliant. And he, I, he was really unfortunate to not crown his performance with a goal. I mean, that one, Tierney pulled it back to him in the second half. And I think it takes a nick yeah. as he hits it. And yeah. It feels like it's probably going in the bottom corner if it doesn't. Yeah, look, he was great. And, uh, you know, I was... Um, I was glad to see him come off at, at 70 minutes, even though I felt we really lost something. Um, yeah. You know, it was sensible. I think a few minutes before Smith Rowe came off, I, I was saying in the live blog, he looks just a little bit tired, mm-hmm. um, which is normal. You know, this is only his second Premier League start. He hasn't played a lot of football this season. So, you know, managing those guys is going to be a really interesting aspect of what's to come in the days ahead. Um, let's talk about the third goal. You know, Chelsea made two changes at the break and the debate about whether he meant it or not is is pretty much irrelevant to me. Um, what I liked was the way that Arsenal played the ball out from the back. I think Leno claimed a cross and from there he, he played it out and there were X amount of passes around the back. We worked it forward. Uh, Shaka involved a couple of times, Lacazette involved, Bellerin, Smithrow and, and then Saka you know, that's the kind of football that we haven't seen a great deal from Arsenal this season. And whether it was to do with 
feeling a bit confident because we were 2-0 up. Um, it was just nice to see us uh, play with some assurance again because, you know, when you lose and when things aren't going your way, it's too easy to take the safe option. And when you look at that move, there are a couple of passes where you go, oh, is he going to get there? I'm not sure he is. You know, that w- w- looks a little bit far ahead of Xhaka. I don't know if he's got the legs to get there, but he did. You know, and if you lose it there, it's a turnover in play and Chelsea are heading towards your goal. And, you know, it's nightmare stuff. But we made it happen. And, you know, I think it was a, a really nice goal. And obviously the finish um, caps it off. Whether he meant it or not, it's, it's spectacular. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've never seen a goal quite like it. You know, it's a really strange one, especially off his wrong foot. Um, I mean, my inclination would be if a goal looks really weird, there's usually a reason. And and (laughs) I think from the glance he gives, he's probably looking towards the six-yard box. But there's a lot in the build-up to the goal that I really liked. I mean, Bellerin makes another really good driving run. He goes beyond... Uh, the midfield he goes beyond Thiago Silva takes him away from Saka and it just gives Saka the space to kind of lift that cross shot in and drops in the far corner what a time to score as well you know Chelsea like you say they made the double change came out for the second half probably had a rollicking from Frank Lampard within 10 minutes Arsenal made it 3-0 and well with any other team you'd say that killed the game and yeah it was a a great moment I was so pleased for Saka he was brilliant too and I think you know, him and Martinelli switched wings a bit, but I think after the first couple of times they used Saka mm. on the right, I was a bit unconvinced and not really sure it was a, a good role for him. But I think he's really grown into it, and I think he is a very, very good option there. Um, and I like actually that him and Martinelli can switch, can interact, you know, can provide a bit of fluidity. Yeah. So look, there were more chances for us to score yeah. goals. You mentioned El Nani hitting the bar. Uh, Mendy one we talked about yeah Martinelli you know it was nice to see us make chances um, and take shots which is again something that we've been bemoaning the fact that we don't take too many shots I mean you know 4-0 would have been absolutely beautiful Um, we did make changes though and I I, I understand why those changes had to be made I think Willock did okay when he came on he made three tackles in the the period that he was on the pitch Mm -hmm. Um, Pepe on the left didn't really do a great deal, but, you know, we could have been 4-0 up. And then it got scary. <laughs> it did, yeah. It took a turn. It took um, a turn. What were, I mean, what were you thinking? Because I was, like, sitting there 3-0, and it was in the 80, 84th minute, whatever it was, and I was like, I wonder what kind of headline I'm going to use on the blog tomorrow and you know how will i frame this performance like i'm not going to use the the um lacka shaka saka headline that everyone's sure. going to use i think it's something else you know and then they then they score that goal and i was like ah, yeah well we should be should be fine. <laughs> Pretty well, a bit of a shame to not get the clean yeah, sheet, I mean, but yeah, it'll be Burned fine. Leno will be a bit upset about it, but you know, it should be fine. And then then Tiago Silva headed just wide yes that was a good and i was like and i could feel myself beginning to um perspire a little Mm. and Mm. then they got the penalty and i was like oh no because as soon as they got the penalty you know as clearly as i could see a future 
shining brightly down that left-hand side of Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Tierney. You know, I could see the dark clouds coming in over the horizon and Chelsea scoring. And then somehow, some way, they would scramble one in in the last seconds of the five minutes of injury time, which felt like eternity. And I was like, oh, no, no. You can't do this to us. You just, you you can't do this to us. And by that time, wasn't Olivier Giroud on the field as well? So, you know... No, oh, he did didn't he come, come on. on. No, they oh, brought. Right. I, I, they brought I must have had nightmare on. visions of that. Yeah, uh, I was really thank, surprised they didn't bring yeah, Giroud on. Like, I mean, it probably would have ended four three to them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I had the same encroaching feeling of doom, um, and actually, in a funny way, you know, having been three nil up. I think to have lost that lead would have been as damaging as anything we've seen. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so there was kind of stakes came into a game that you know you didn't necessarily anticipate. No complaints from me at all about uh, the penalty award. I mean, it's you know it's a foul, isn't it? In it, the box, it is a foul, and I, I you know I'm, I'm not going to be hugely critical of anything, you know, given that we've won a game at last. But I yeah. do wonder if. When Pablo Marie, starting his first Premier League game of the season as well, uh, having spent a long time out with injury in the 82nd minute, whatever it was, got the kind of injury that required that amount of treatment where he looked in real trouble, didn't he, on on the pitch for a while. He was lying down. He looked really sore. Like, I'm not saying Arsenal need much more Mustafi. You know? I don't think we do. I'm not saying that... Uh, Mustafi is the answer to anything but in that circumstance I do wonder if the sensible move might have been to bring on uh, a, a fit you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for not tired what's the opposite of not tired fresh fresh there you go thank you struggling today with certain words but you know I, I just wonder if that might have been the, sen- the sensible thing to do and it felt like a very tired challenge from Pablo Marie. It did, it did. I mean, managers are always reluctant, aren't they, I think, to change the defence. You know, it's an interesting one, that. You know, I don't know if there's any kind of truth to that sort of maxim that seems to exist among managers that you keep the back four intact as far as possible. But that that is an interesting example of where a change might have been good. He did look uh, Mm. leggy when he made that tackle for the penalty. And then Jorginho steps up and you've got all the memories in your head of us being linked with him in the summer and you think, right, well, he scores this then. Uh, But no, Bernd Leno saves a penalty. What a save from that Mr. Tonus-looking fucker Jorginho. (laughs) Really does. It's Um, a really good save. It is. It's a really good save. It's a very good save. And at that point, I was able to relax. I don't think I stopped sweating, but I was able to relax because I figured... You know, uh, we wouldn't let it slip from there. And we didn't. Um, and, and, and by the way, yeah, I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of games since the absence of fans. And I don't remember, maybe not even the FA Cup final, I don't remember a noise like the one I heard when Bernd Leno saved that penalty from the players, from the bench. Mm. I think everybody was aware that that was a kind of sliding doors moment yeah 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 and uh there was very 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 palpable audible relief from everyone associated with arsenal and of course the guy behind me went absolutely mental <laughs> and why not i mean it was a huge it was a huge moment as uh um 
maybe not quite as much as any of the goals, but like in, in the context of that game and in the, the circumstances in which we find ourselves um, at this moment in time, you know, that was a, that it felt like a goal practically, didn't it? Mm, it did. It mm. did. And it felt like, you know, it set the seal on the victory. And actually it meant we kind of ended on a high, you mm. know, rather than sort of feeling under the car. Yeah, and- we scraped that one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it really felt like, ah, no, okay, we've got a, a relatively comfortable victory here. Um, and it's a really, really, what can I, how can I describe it? It's a foothold, isn't it, for Mikel Arteta? It's a lifeline. It's uh, something to cling on to as he goes into this big, big, big run of games. And I think yeah. he... Yeah, he must have breathed a hell of a sigh of relief. For sure. Look, I I think I was prepared in some way to compartmentalise the Chelsea game because I was expecting the worst. Mm. And I I feel like the next four games, the ones we've spoken about against um, Brighton, West Brom, Crystal Palace and Newcastle, were going to be defining. Um, I still yeah. feel like that is the case. But we go into those games uh, with a real boost because this was a a big, big win, a really important win for all the obvious reasons. You beat a London rival as well, you know, um, to end the sort of barren run we've been on with a performance like that and with a... Uh, with a win like that is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's just the tonic that we needed, but the the important part, and I think Kieran Tierney said this on Sky afterwards, he just said, it's a start, isn't it? It's a start. Mm. He wasn't getting carried away with, you know, uh, what a big win it was. I think we as fans were perfectly entitled and are perfectly entitled to go large on how much we enjoy that win and how much we celebrate it. But for the players, for the manager, it's done. It's over. Well done to you. Congratulations. But now, do it again and do it again and do it again, you know? So I'm not trying to bring anybody down or or say that this is – or try and take this in a negative way. But the really important part is that we don't follow up a big win like we did at Old Trafford with a period where we were, you know, shit. So – um, yeah. it, it, it's hugely important now this next period, particularly as the games that we have really struggled in are the kind of games that we've got coming up. If they want that new goodly morning jingle, yeah, I mean, what more? more pin what? that up on the dressing room wall, <laughs> Mikel Arteta. What uh, more motivation do they need? Yeah, I mean, listen, like, we are absolutely entitled and right to celebrate this, especially when you know, nights or games like this have been few and far between this season. It's funny, you know, we've had some some big ones, United and Chelsea, but um, a lot in between that was very, very bad. I have to be honest, I'm not getting massively carried away only because if I step back from it, it feels very different because the personnel on the field were different. But ultimately, this was a win over... Uh, a top six team, which is something Arteta has, has managed a few times. It was a game in which we didn't face, you know, the mass ranks of a, a low block defence. There are still things this team has not shown us they can do. Uh, and this sort of thing mm. until recently was within their 
remit. You know, I remember when we lost to Wolves and then mm. we went to Spurs in the next game and there was a kind of sense of, well, that might suit Arsenal, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a big game. And I guess maybe we should have seen, not seen this coming, but been a bit more optimistic given our record in these kinds of fixtures. However, confidence is something we've talked and talked and talked about with this team. Yeah. And where do you get confidence from? You get it from big wins yeah. over big teams. And so I really do hope it will provide a big uh, injection of life for this for this side. Do you think that the performances of Smith-Rowe... Saka is, is slightly different because he plays all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think we also have to acknowledge the fact that it's only been in recent weeks that Arteta has had Martinelli and Smith-Rowe available to him because they've been injured basically all season. Um, mm. we, we can never know quite how much they were going to play. But do you think it might have assuaged some of his fears about playing young players? I mean, I can only assume um, that the William Saliba thing is because they don't want to expose him too much. They don't feel he's ready, etc., etc. You know, at 19 years of age, central defender, uh, I'm not here to relitigate what's happened with his loan move or anything like that. But, you know, yeah. I think he has, and evidence suggests that he has been more minded to play experience to try and get him out of the, the hole that he's in. You know, leaning on players who've been there, done that. I understand it. I get it. I know why managers default to that. But how, when how, they're quite inexperienced themselves, yeah. maybe. But how do we find the balance now between, right, we put in some young players, the young players did well, and we won a game. There's an element of cause and correlation here. You know, how much is it down to those players? How much is it down to... I mean, I think it's one of the things we have to say as well is that the young players who did really well were very well supported by the experienced players in the team also, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not uh, Granite Xhaka's biggest fan or anything like it, but he had a very good game. Uh, Lacazette hasn't been great this season, but I thought he had a very good game and grew into it. Tierney, I know he's only 22 still, but hugely experienced, Bellerin was brilliant. Bellerin Rob was holding. fantastic. Yeah. I thought holding was good. I thought Pablo Marie faded but I think in general he did okay you know particularly against a team like Chelsea who are so good in the air so good from set pieces um, you know they've scored so many goals from set pieces I think he made seven or eight uh, clearances headed clearances in our box I, I don't quite understand why uh, Hector Bellerin was marking Tammy Abraham but that's another question for another day so the young players were absolutely supported by the experienced player. So it was a collective effort. We can't just say the young players made this happen, but they did make a difference. Do you think it will have an impact on how Arteta views the team selection for Brighton, the team selection for West Brom, etc., etc.? Also bearing in mind that the schedule that we're operating yeah, under yeah. at this time of the year with games every three days, I mean, we're playing tomorrow, then we're playing again on, is it Saturday again? Um you know, is it Saturday or is it? No, it's, it's New Year's. It's Friday, isn't it? It's New Year's Day. We're playing at eight o'clock. No, the second at eight o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's West Brom. All right. Okay. So look, the games are, you know, uh, coming thick and fast. We mm. do, whether we like it or not, have to 
rotate a little? We're going to have mm-hmm. to. I mean, that's the reality. We want to see Martinelli. We want to see Smith Rowe. But we have to also acknowledge that they've been out injured. We have to manage their their fitness. We can't just start playing them every single game. As much as I would love to see it, they can't play Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday, you know, Saturday. They can't do it. So there is going to have to be probably some unfortunate rotation that we might not like. So how do how does he do you think it might have just changed his mind a little on on the way his squad is set up and what he can get from certain players? I hope it has. It's a great learning opportunity for this young manager, I think, to see how well these players coped and just what they brought to the side and and I you know I mean that in terms of their technical attributes as much as their sort of physical ones I mean Smith Rowe I don't think Smith Rowe was like outstanding on no. the day but I thought he he showed something that almost no other player in the squad has you know an ability to link the midfield and the attack and actually that's relatively unique in this Arsenal squad mm. um and I think it makes him incredibly important I hope Arteta sees it that way. I hope we keep him around. I hope he stays in and you know close to the first team, if not playing, and doesn't go out on loan. I think why not invest yeah. that time in him as a young player? Martinelli, I think you know Saka's a slightly different case from the other young players. He seems to play an awful lot, and I wonder if I wonder if Arteta views Martinelli in the same bracket. The reason I say that is simply because when he came back to training. Arteta was so effusive in his praise and he was saying, you know, this guy has a special quality and an energy that we have missed in our team. And you really got the sense that when Martinelli came back to training at London Colney, Arteta mm. had one look at him and thought, oh, this could be really, really useful. And the speed at which he's kind of stepped into the first team, begun starting games, to me suggests that Arteta recognises what he's bringing to the party. So, yeah, I, I hope it's a really instructive night for Arteta. I think if he reverts to just picking, you know, the same names that we've talked about before, I think people are going to be very frustrated with that. And I think they would be entitled to be. I think it would be wrong. That said, I can't see, for example, someone like Smith Rowe playing all these fixtures. Um, well, Martinelli so can't it, play all these fixtures either. He certainly can't start all these fixtures. No. I mean, I guess I guess I'm a little bit less exercised about that one only because the alternative to Martinelli is is probably <laughs> Aubameyang mm. and, you know, that's not a, you know, you can live with that, I think. Um if it's sort of Willian in for Smith-Rowe, I think that will feel more mm. galling. Yeah. But what have we learned with the Thomas Partey incident, you know, we do have to make sure it's not worth playing a player in the next game to lose them for the next six. For sure. Um, for sure. You know, hopefully that, uh, hopefully that is a lesson that we've, that we've learned. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, the games, the games do come, you know, with quite some intensity at this time of year. Um, I mean, I was pleased that Smith Rowe came off as early as he did because I thought, okay, that I think potentially puts him in the mix for Brighton. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, anything else from this game that we need to touch on other than it just being a, a fantastic win? Um, something we can all be really happy about? Yeah, I mean, I'm really not a lot to 
add, I just uh, was so delighted. And I've got memories in the recent past of Arsenal kind of ruining Christmas with Boxing Day defeats. I think there was one at Southampton. I think there might have been one at Brighton as well. Um, Mm. So... I was mightily relieved to get this. Happy Christmas. Thank you very much indeed for the wonderful present, Arsenal. We all (laughs) really appreciate it. And I'm not trying to sound sarcastic when I say that, despite my voice sounding exactly like that when I started. So I don't know quite what happened there, but I do mean it. Thank you. Thank you. I really liked it. Yeah, we all did. Only a day late. Only a day late. Okay, look, we're going to take a little break here and we will be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I-was-there-when-Arsenal-actually-scored-a-goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that uh, you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Just before we get into them, James, we have many questions inquiring about your health, your well-being, your physical fitness. Given that we've won a game, can you please confirm that you are in one piece or you know, the pieces that should be in one piece are not in two pieces or fractured or sprained or, or something? I am suspiciously well. Good. Asymptomatic, I believe, is the phrase people use these days. <laughs> okay, well, that's good news. Um, where was the other question that I was going to ask very early on? I can't remember where it was, um, so let's not 
let's not get into it. Do you want to start or will I start? Um, okay, let's. I'll start. This okay. is from uh, Queen Guna, who's at SoFire on Twitter. And she asks, if Willian goes straight back into the starting lineup for Brighton, what would be an acceptable reaction from Gooners? <laughs> Kick the cat, baseball bat through the telly? Well, first, I should say we do not advocate violence towards domestic animals at all. <laughs> so please, <laughs> please don't kick your cat. I know it's a figure of speech. <laughs> so no, that would not be acceptable. I mean, kick Willian's cat, maybe, or Mikel Arteta's cat. Sure. I don't think he has a cat. He's got a dog. Um, I think he's got a fairly... I think I saw a story about Mikel Arteta's dog. Really? Yeah. What he's, sort of dog has he got? I think he's got something like a... I think it's a Dutch Shepherd. Here we go. Uh, he has... Yes, a Dutch Shepherd. That's right. He's purchased the pooch. Purchased the pooch. Daily are, you reading, for this. are you reading from a tabloid? It's Daily Cannon, I'll have you know. Okay. And they say he purchased the pooch from Elite Protection Dogs, who provide exclusive dogs for exclusive people. And essentially it's a... A guard dog, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, yeah, I think they come fully trained and all that. Patrol your, your grounds and what have you, yeah. 20 grand. It's a lot for a, for a dog. That is a for lot a for a shepherd. dog. Um, yeah. But what should the reaction be? I mean, I think disappointment. You talked about Martinelli maybe putting Aubameyang to shame a little bit. I think that's, you know, not necessarily uh, big on that phrase, but I know what you mean. I think Willian was shown up in a big way by Martinelli, by Smith Rowe, by Saka. Definitely. You know, he really, really was. So there's no reason for him to come straight back into the team. Um, you know, he has, if, you know, what's the best case scenario that we get from, from this? Is that Willian realizes he isn't going to be without competition or he's not going to be first choice? just because anymore mm. and he he ups his game or he, he he knuckles down or tries harder i mean that's the best case scenario that we can get from this right yeah um but it's it's entirely on him to work his way back into the team i mean i think he will at some point over the 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 festive period i think he will start a game um yeah i mean presuming that he's well i mean i know that he had had and p passed if that's the right word or at least tested negative for yeah. covid but he was uh seemingly unwell well can i ask you a question we had one here from the discord which is yeah. from dan easy dan easy or dan is i don't know uh he says any news about what's happening with louise and william do you think they're really sick and a few people ask this, or is there omission from Chelsea to do with their reported meeting with, with Edu? Like, are they sick or are they sick? Uh, was it just because it was Chelsea, you know, that the two ex-Chelsea players didn't appear? Was there something to read into that? And for those that don't know, there were some reports that, that uh, Willian and Louise went to Edu with concerns about Mikel Arteta or what was going on with the team you know it's hard to know what exactly was said in in that meeting um you know Chinese whispers mean that some of the stories say uh they wanted him sacked but it might just have been that two Brazilians went to another Brazilian to talk about you know some of the issues that the team 
we're we're having. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it it wouldn't be unreasonable for that conversation to take place. It would be completely unreasonable for them to go to the technical director and insist that they fire the manager because you know get the fuck out of here with that kind of shit. Um, particularly you know when when you're the kind of player who has done fuck all for us since the opening day of the season. So what what do you what's your information? Do you think there was anything more to it just than them being unwell? Personally, I don't think that. And I personally don't put any stock in the story that Willian and Louise want Mikel Arteta out. I think it would be extremely strange for Willian to want a manager sacked who has persistently picked him despite him performing mm. really poorly. Yeah. Um, I, 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 part of Edu's job is that he meets with players regularly, so I don't deny that there might have been a meeting. I'm sure that's... I'm sure that's the case. I think he talks to players all the time about their personal development and, you know, the progression and things like that. Um, and that would be a very worthwhile conversation we're having with William at the moment. <laughs> That'd be pretty easy uh, at the moment, wouldn't it? You're, yeah. you're bad. You've been bad. Uh, yeah. You're bad. Do better. They've got you... a lot to talk about, for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, my, so my information, my understanding is that the players uh, had... Uh, tested negatively for COVID and felt that they could probably play in this game. Arsenal were cautious because uh, I think they had been unwell. Um, and it was all to do with, you know, not wanting to take a chance on having people who might be unwell around the team and, you know, not having 100% certainty on testing. Mm. That was my understanding and that that maybe even, you know, they felt they could have been involved. Um it seems, I mean, I don't have any grounds for this, but it's, you do wonder, like, why is it these three uh, Brazilian guys who suddenly aren't available? Um, that is interesting. And, and why isn't Gabriel Martinelli in their gang? It's not allowed why out. Why wasn't he invited to Gabriel's birthday? His mum won't let him out. She's going, no, you're, you're not allowed out. It's Christmas time. You spend it here with us. Well, very possibly. Maybe yeah. they're back over his mum and dad. I don't know. Maybe he's got more but, fucking um, sense. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's. I don't think the conspiracy theories have much grounding. I, okay, it will be fascinating, and also I might be wrong. Maybe I've you know been lied to, and I don't know. I think it's very possible, but um, it will be fascinating to see the degrees which they're reincorporated back in the team. I, I am finding it slightly curious that Louise is sort of getting lumped in with Willian. I do think it's a bit of a different case, like. I don't think we couldn't have produced the performance we did against Chelsea with David Luiz in that team. You know, I, I mm. think I've seen him have that sort of performance many times. Do you think um, Luiz is being eased out? Yeah, I think so. And I think it would be foolish not to because we were reliant on him last season to the point where we had to give him an extension at a time where financially it was quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, he's not going to be here, I don't think, beyond the end of this season because of the money he's on, because of the age he is. So, yeah, it's absolutely right that we should be moving on from him, really. And he, and even if I think he's better, I think he's probably better than... Well, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, but I think he's probably better than Rob Holding. I've sort of been more inclined to play... Rob Holding at present. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, if you're trying to to build something for the future and if you're trying to use players who are committed yeah. and I, you know, 
whatever concerns people might have about Rob Holding, you know, he, I mean, he's playing week after week, game after game for us. He's giving us, you know, his best. And I don't think you can be critical of any player who does that for you. And he certainly is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're looking for a right-sided center half. It's just interesting what their long-term um, plan for the left is. Obviously, Gabriel is there. Pablo Marie is there. So are they looking for, you know, someone who can combine or, you know, provide that same uh, what's uh, the, that same kind of structure, you know? So it's yeah, holding balance. plus one on the right, and it's Gabriel and, and Pablo Marie on the left. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it, that Callum Chambers... Am I right? I think he didn't play against City in the Carabao. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he might go somewhere in January, maybe on loan. I don't mm. know. I just look at the number of centre-backs we have and I think moving some of those on will be high on the agenda. And given his lack of involvement in that fixture, I kind of wonder if he might be sort of being uh, saved, put on the shelf for a move somewhere. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, Louise and Willian, I mean, listen, maybe they'll be declared well for the next game and then Mikel Arteta will have a choice to make I do yeah. think uh, I do think that Willian the smartest management at this point is to take him out of the team and to say look look at what these guys are doing you're not yeah. at that level this is what we expect from you and who knows maybe it'll give him the kick up the arse he desperately yeah. needs look I mean I think the 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 fact that Reese Nelson isn't in the squad means we don't have an option and whatever mm-hmm. the hell is going on there, I'm really not sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I, know. I, uh, I know he had a bang on the head and um, mm. I heard that he was unwell as well, but there's been no clarification on that. So th- that is a curious one, I think. Yeah. But again, maybe it could be the case that a decision has been made. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they've taken a decision on Reese Nelson that, He's going to go somewhere on loan or permanently, and you know yeah. that's um, yeah. he's sort of being protected until then. Just while we're on the subject of central defenders, Ben Butcher, who's at Ben yeah. Butcher Eight, says: Are the preconceptions surrounding Pablo Marie unfair with regards to his agent? Where does he rank amongst our centre backs? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because he's both Pablo Marie and Cedric. Uh, are kind of tainted by that January window and, and mm. the nature of those deals and people's um, suspicions and concerns about those signings. I actually think that there is a slight distinction between the two. I think that Marie, you know, I, I think he was his signing made slightly more sense than Cedric. Um, I think as time has worn on, it's been pretty clear that we've kind of got a spare right back who isn't really required. Um, but with Marie, there was seemingly always an intention to have a couple of left-sided centre-halves. And I think, I don't think he's like a, a first-team player for Arsenal, but I think as a squad player, as a centre-half, mm. as your kind of third or fourth choice, on the early evidence, I'd have to say he seems kind of fine. I'm not going to say better than that, but he seems okay. What do you think? Yeah, look, I have concerns about his 
provenance, if you like, given the, the mm. personal connection between his agent and the former director of football and the reasons why that director of football is no longer director of football are open to speculation, but there are good yeah. ones. So I, I, I have some worries about it from that point of view. Um, again, I think sample size is just a bit small. Um, it is. We've barely seen him, to yeah, be honest. We've barely seen him. So I do have some worries about his his pace uh, at sure. this level. Um, he does seem to read the game pretty well. He's he's uh, he's a bit of an like I think he would be the kind of defender who would do well at um, Brighton or something like that. You know? Yeah. He, he's just got that kind of a profile. But I, I do think he is basically the backup to Gabriel when Gabriel is fit, you know, to provide that left-footed option. Um, Clearly, yeah. So, you know, on that basis, I think he's okay. But we need to see a bit more of him before we can make any real judgments on him as, as a player. Yeah, absolutely. And it's difficult sometimes to separate the player from the context in which they arrive. Yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately... Pablo Ruiz, probably the last person who's fought with, is that, you know, if there are any lingering doubts over that deal. Mm. Um, I think he's probably delighted to be at Arsenal, to be honest, given the career trajectory he's had to this point. I know he did well with Flamengo, but prior to that, he wasn't pulling up any trees. Mm. But we need a backup to Gabriel, and he appears to be it for now. And I don't have a huge issue with that. Mm. Um, right, okay. So let's have another question. This is from East Lower. And it's actually looking beyond the game. He says, given that empty stadiums are hitting the finances hard with no, and with no end in sight, is January a case of no sales equals no purchases? Are we burying our heads in the sand as to football's parlous finances? I don't know if we're burying our heads in the sand. I think everybody can see the impact that it is having on the game and on football clubs. I just don't know who we can sell in January. I think there are players we can move on in January. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily sure who we can sell. Uh where the money might come from for a for a signing, I'm not sure either. Um but I you know, we have a couple of questions here about the January window. Um but you know, I don't think anybody is blind to the financial issues. I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel, though, in the sense that the that vaccinations are starting to be mm-hmm. rolled out. So, you know, it's going to take some time, obviously. But I think, would it be reasonable to suggest that football stadiums could be in use again by next season? I mean, maybe it won't happen in time for the rest of this season, or maybe it'll be graded or or you know gradually you get people back into the stadiums um but i think if vaccinations are rolled out and if um we get a hold on on the virus then is there a reason why we can't get people back into the grounds therefore the financial issues become a bit eased and clubs can at least start to plan for things like that yeah i think um i i think my expectations for the january window are pretty Measured. I think Arsenal might acquire one player if they find the right opportunity, you know, and, and it is that in that creative midfield area. I think moving players on is a big priority mm. and they need to save whatever money they can at this point because there's so much 
waste kind of contained within the first team squad in terms of players who either aren't playing or you know earning too much money they really need to or who are going to go out of contract and leave for free and um, they really need to do everything they can on that if we don't sign a player in January I'm also I'm kind of okay with it like it would be helpful but I'd rather we didn't than that we mm. invested in the wrong player yeah like we've some questions here um the Gooners podcast at the Gooners pod say yeah. if in January in January you could a cancel the contracts and or sell all of these six players Ozil, Willian, Luis, Socrates, Kalasinac, Shaka, but sign no one new until June or b sell two players with value to fund a move for one new midfielder whether it's uh, Buendia, Awa, Brandt, which would you do? He says or they say I'm a till I die. And um, again, from Dan uh, Easy on the Discord, which player should we try and offload in the January window? And realistically, who do you think we'll be able to get rid of? I mean, the A B thing. I mean, option A included cancelling Williams' contract, didn't That's it? That's not so, going to happen. Yeah, and you're not going to sell him. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a nice idea. So I guess in theory, I'd go for that, but I don't think that's a realistic prospect. Who are Arsenal going to be able to move on in January? Um, there's a couple of centre-half spots that could, you know... I mean, Saliba will go on loan. I'd say that's you know almost certain at this point. Um, Socrates? Socrates, I'd say, is probably free to go. I think uh, one of Mustafi or Chambers could potentially go. Which should be uh, Mustafi, shouldn't it, really? Well, it should be, but they might think, you know, let's send Callum Chambers on loan for six months. We'll keep Mustafi around. There's not enough interest in him. His contract's going to expire anyway. At least Chambers gets to play that way. And in the summer, we'll mm. get back a player we know more about. Um, if someone wants to buy Mustafi at this point, by all means. But I'd be amazed if that was the case. I think moving... I think moving Musafi and Socrates is almost more difficult because they're so close to the end of their contract that mm. they might just want to stick it out. Um, in midfield, I don't see many options to get rid of people. Um, as I said, in, whenever it was, I, I think Reese Nelson, given his lack of game time, I think that's one you've got to look at and wonder what's going to happen with him. Um, I don't think there'll be a resolution on Mesut Ozil and nor do I think there's any chance of him being included in the squad yeah same I think it's going to be another six months of that um, yeah I think there'll be another round of headlines when we confirm our squad at the end of the window mm. um, and then sort of more of the same do is there anyone whose name I'm not saying Maybe Reese Nelson. Ah, I just mentioned Reese. Did you? Sorry, my apologies. It wasn't okay. that I wasn't listening? Um, I mean, what about Smith Rowe? Do you think at this point it would be crazy to send him out on loan? Look, I think in isolation you could say he's a young player who could benefit from a loan. Yeah. Certainly, you could make a very good case for that. But when you look at the Arsenal squad and you look at midfield, you know, I. I, I would just be inclined to keep him. I'm not saying play him every week, but but keep him. I think he can develop with us as much as he can develop elsewhere. 
And I think we could use him. I think we need him, you know, particularly if, like you say, there's going to be no, I don't think there's going to be any recall for Mesut Ozil. Um, just no way. Um, so who else in the squad has the kind of qualities? I'm not saying Smith Rowe is as good as Ozil or anything like that. I'm just saying in terms of the, the kind of player that he is and where he operates, we don't really have anybody else in midfield no. who can who can do that. I mean, on the Discord, Sandhill said, what do you think of Joe Willock now? Seems to desperately need a goal for confidence at the moment. I think he could benefit from a loan, but do we have the numbers? What do you think about Joe Willock come January? I think, again, I think he could probably do with a loan. Yeah, I think he could do with one. It's just it comes yeah. in that area of the field where we're so light. And I... I think someone would probably have to come in for, for that to happen. Well, yeah. As it stands, you can see Smith-Rowe and Willock sharing quite a lot of games. Mm. You know, if you start Smith-Rowe, there's an obvious substitution on 70 minutes where you bring Joe Willock on for his energy and, yeah. you know, his athleticism in that last 20 minutes. And it's probably not the way Joe Willock dreams of being used, but it's uh, it, it's a job he's quite effective at. Um, yeah, I just think I think with with Willock. I mean, like I said, he came on, he made three tackles, which is as many as any other Arsenal player on the night, and that player was Gabriel Martinelli, by the way. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the 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 defensive side of his game, the discipline, positional discipline side of his game, could use a little bit of work, and maybe that's what might benefit him from a loan move, but. You know, again, it depends on numbers. We do have Partey, Thomas Partey, to come in. And that, you know, let's break out the old chestnut. That will feel like a new signing when he's back <laughs> in the team and when he's fully fit. Because, yeah. you know, essentially he is a new signing who we've barely seen. So I wonder if part of our midfield or part of our, our January boost will just simply be having Partey back. Yeah, but I mean, when you go through that squad, you know, it shows the difficulty of getting people out and I don't think it's going to be easy and I don't think we'll I think we might see one signing but I'd be amazed if it was any more than that in January okay. um, yeah did you have a question about Granite Shack? I did here it is it comes from um, Johnny Holland on the discord and yeah. he says Shaka was very solid yesterday and stuck that free kick into the top corner about fucking time but what did you make of his post-match interview comments? I feel like he built a platform to get back on side with the fans until the end of the season, but shot himself in the foot with his arrogance yet again. A real shame. Hmm. So, I don't dislike Granite Xhaka as much as many of our listeners. Um, I, I, I think he's a, <laughs> a very interesting character. And uh, a flawed player, but I can't help but admire his capacity to recover from the times he shoots himself in the foot. Um, yeah, can I just you can't give people? Kill the, yeah, well, can I give people the, the 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 comments that he made after the game? Yeah, he said there was a lot of speaking after the red card. A lot of people started speaking again. And again, and again, I will always show my character. I was very disappointed about my right card, and I knew what I did was wrong for my side, but I'm more than happy. I helped the team, and I am back. And then he went on to talk about how, like, 
uh, it's important that we got three points against Chelsea, but we have to continue like this. The next games are very difficult, etc., etc. But yeah, I, what did you make of the the, the comments? Well, I, I think that Shaka doesn't really care what the fans think of him. That's, I, my, that's my opinion. I think that's absolutely right. I think you're right. I'm not saying that it is absolutely right that he doesn't care what the fans no, think. No. I think you're right to care. I mean, I think in the nicest possible way, I think he's probably just a bit of a cunt. And, <laughs> you know, some would argue that that's kind of what uh, this team needs a bit, a bit more of that, you know? That's why I say I mean it in a kind of a nice way. He seems a really popular guy in the dressing room. Yeah, he is. And he's very... I, th- I think he's... I mean, look at the reaction when he scored his goal. I mean, they were absolutely all over him. I, I think respected is maybe more mm. right than, you know, popular or, or loved. I think... And I, th- I think he doesn't care what we think of him at all. And some for some fans, that's sort of unacceptable or, you know ridiculous or beyond the pale mm. I think all he cares about is what his teammates and his coaches yeah. think of him and uh, we know they hold him in high regard now none of this I'm not saying that's right I'm just saying that's who he is and who he's yeah. certainly always been and been all the more so since the incident with Crystal Palace a year ago you know he kind of never uh, really backed down on his stance on that and I don't think ever he, would no, you know, he, he, he yeah, he won't. And that's that's the way he is. I think he is pretty intransigent. I think he's pretty stubborn. I think he's massively flawed as a player. But I don't think... Like, one of the things that got said about him when he was sent off in the last game, whenever it was, is like, he's a quitter and he's a coward and all that stuff. I don't think that's true, personally. I think he's a problematic player who has bad attention span and things like that and poor mm. focus at times and makes mistakes but I don't think he's a coward I think he's got character but like I said his character is a bit dubious um, you know I, I, I'm i not going to back down on what I said after that that red card I think it was stupid and I think it's the wrong kind of character this kind of bravado which is dressed up as hard man I, I don't I don't buy it at all. I don't buy into it whatsoever. And I think after a game like this, you know, he could easily have come out and said, look, I got the red card. It was stupid. Um, I was disappointed, but I'm glad to help the team again. I think that would be reasonable. I think going on about people talking again and again and again, like you say, he doesn't care. But he doesn't well, help. He doesn't himself. care, but he probably doesn't love like the inevitable death threats that he'll get after a sending off. Do you know what I mean? I kind of understand his. Yeah, but is he position. talking about that, or is he talking about pundits? Is he talking about the press? Is he talking about you know the criticism that he got? I'm not talking about nobody should like or have to c- uh, contend with or deal with death threats or anything of that nature. They just shouldn't. It's just, you know it goes without saying. But I think criticism of you. Um, and what you do on the pitch, sometimes you just have to accept it when you've done uh, something as stupid as he did against Burnley. I think you yeah, do. Maybe. And look, look, I get that's his his character. I just think he's a bit of a you know, he's just he is who he is. 
you know, we should be under no illusions as to who Granite Xhaka is, and maybe it's on us now if we're getting annoyed at the things Granite Xhaka does simply for being Granite Xhaka. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I'll tell you what the, the other, the bigger issue for me is, is that in the in the pantheon of our midfield, he is the second best player that we have. So when mm-hmm. Thomas Partey is injured, he has to play. And maybe when Partey is back, he still has to play because I think he's better for all his flaws, as much as I don't like them, He's better than El Neni, and he is better than Ceballos. I think he's more rounded and gives more to the team than someone like Joe Willock at this moment in time. So the issue is our continued reliance on Granit Xhaka. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think we should be weaning ourselves off that if we can. You know, I actually think he's he's quite comparable as a player with Luis. You know, there's a lot about his game that's good, but he's always going to yeah. have a bad, bad moment in his locker. And that is fundamentally who he is. I, I sort of, I was talking to Charles Watts at half time of the game against Chelsea. And I was saying, God, this thing with Shaka, you know, we always want to move on from him, but we're sort of never quite good enough to. Yeah. And um, he pointed out that when Partey plays, maybe Shaka's not the best partner for him. You know, we've seen, some uh, not a lot of them together, but when we have seen them together, I, was it the was it the Villa game? I forget, but you know they didn't combine brilliantly, and it seemed to sort of isolate Partey a bit. And maybe it's the case of when Partey doesn't play, Shaka has to play. But maybe when Partey's fit, Elneny is the best partner, or Sabios is the best partner. Yeah, I maybe. don't know. Um, but but clearly, Shaka isn't the future. I think we can all agree on that and, well I mean um, we can agree on it but he remains <laughs> he remains he, he remains on to the present fundamental yeah. to the to the present if you yeah like, so. it, it is kind of incredible yeah um, and I don't think that's just about his strength of character or about his ability I think it says more about our options in some ways yeah um, the, the other thing about Shaka by the way is I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago uh, I was chatting about his passing and how much worse it appeared to have got. Mm. Uh, and I used the phrase the canary in the coal mine about his passing because it just, to me, it illustrated that we weren't connecting midfield with what we had up front at all. And, and he, he found Smith Rowe more than any other player on the pitch. It was his two passes, two highest passes in the game. His number one was out to the left to Tierney and number two was into Smith Rowe. And... I don't think it's coincidence that he looked better with someone to hit in front of him. And he just hasn't had that a lot this season. Um, I think, yeah, that's so fair. That's I fair. think it illustrates the fact that our team looked a lot more joined up in this game. But mm. yeah, it's. It, 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 I just find the sort of, um, the epic of saga of Granite Xhaka absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next huge mistake and banishment from the team and subsequent return. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Every time you think, well, that's it. Like, surely this this is the last straw. You know, he comes back and uh, absolute credit to him. I thought he had a really good game. A really good game against Chelsea. I mean, it was a good goal, but, you know, his his passing was quicker. It was more incisive. The, the ball to Tierney, which led to the penalty. You know, um, I think I think he had a very good game. And this is the the... The enigma, if you like, of 
of Xhaka. Yeah, like, we and, all and know he's he, not great, but he he played really well. Yeah, and on the criticism point, like if he was someone who was minded to listen to criticism or observe criticism, maybe it would iron out some of the glaring flaws in his game. But I think what mm. we can say, having had whatever it is, four years of experience with him, is that he is not that person. No. And so for better and certainly for worse as well, he is not going to change. No. Um, so what we do with him from this point is absolutely on us because we mm. can't pretend or claim to not know <laughs> who he is at this point. But yeah, I, I, listen, I remember saying, I've said it so many times, but you know, he's always going to have these moments where it turns around for him and it will only end this cycle when we cut the cord. Um, and I personally think Arsenal will make that decision next summer. It feels like to me a, a, a point's been reached where there's kind of natural parting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think if the club are, are doing their forward planning, they are looking at Granit Xhaka as a player who still with a couple of years left on his contract, we're Surely not, we're not, not going to give know. him a new one. Or we shouldn't really give him a new one. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But like, if you're looking to rebuild and if you're looking to, you know, a lot of players are going for nothing. Like Ozil's going for nothing and Louise will go for nothing. Mustafi for nothing. Socrates for nothing. What can you get for Kalasinac? You know, the, the, the players who can generate funds are somebody. limited. Yeah, you've got to sell somebody. And I think Xhaka is somebody who, um, you know, is playing regularly, um, can do a good job for a certain uh, uh, caliber of team. And I think he is a player who who, who should be generating funds for us um, next summer. Yeah, he'll be two years out from the expiry of his contract in the summer. He'll be 28, which is probably a last chance to get a decent return. Mm. It really makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. And I hope Arsenal, you know, can get the squad in such a place where they feel comfortable to make that decision. I, I really mm. think that would be a smart move. Um Anyhow, so let's have another question. Have you got one to Yeah, have? I've got one here from the Gooner Talk, uh, at the Gooner Talk TV. Uh, and he says, Martinelli's performances against Chelsea and Man City have shown the brilliance of his pressing and fight against these sides. However, with matches against sides where Arsenal tend to have greater possession and could face low blocks, does Martinelli have the skill set to break these sides down? More than a Aubameyang. For me, like in terms of like, if you what does a what does a uh, a deep block present you with? You need people who can play quick one twos, who can dribble, uh, and I think he does have that. Yes, he benefited against Chelsea from the fact that they were chasing the game. There was space for him to exploit. Um, that that suited him. That helped him. But I do think he can play with the ball of his feet, the ball at his feet as well. Mm. Um, so I think as an option on that left-hand side I think he's incredibly appealing I mean time will tell but if you look at his basic attributes he's not yes he is a guy whose movement is outstanding and who can run space but he's not just that he's got I think a more rounded game mm. than that um, so I, I, I'm not too concerned about it what about you? Yeah I think his I think his movement and his energy 
um, you know, the, the difficult part, uh, uh, one of the difficult parts about playing against a, a so-called low block or a defensive team or a park-the-bus yeah. kind of team is pulling people out of position, you know, because they just stay organized and disciplined and they cover the spaces and you find it hard to, you know, put your own men or to get your own men in the kind of space where they can have shots on goal or create things. So I just think movement is hugely important um, for that. Uh, you know, I think he's got this ability in the air as well, which could be which could be useful. I mean, what would you yeah. do for Brighton if Aubameyang, Aubameyang was fit enough to be on the bench? And I think it was probably a case, and I think we saw that, you know, if we really, really needed him, we would have taken a bit of a gamble on him uh, yeah. in the Chelsea game. Turns out we didn't, and it was good. And Lacazette, I think, as I said earlier, was very good. But, you know, what would you do against... Brighton. I mean, they've got some big fucking defenders in there. Would you bring Aubameyang in to play in that centre forward role if you've got Saka from the right, you've got Martinelli from the left, and maybe Evil, uh, even Smithrow again? Evil Smithrow, even Smithrow. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, Emil's twin. <laughs> yeah, he's um, an evil twin. But, you know, would you think of Aubameyang as the, the central striker in that system again if we're going to play something similar? I'd be tempted by that. I'd be really tempted by it. Um, I do sort of, you know, when I think about the composition of my attacks, I'm quite often like a sort of spoken wheel kind of guy. And I I like having someone like Lacazette who can offer a kind of focal point. But if if you're just picking the best players, Mm. uh, Bamiang through the middle, you know, with those three behind. And also who knows what it would do for a Bamiang to have a Smith Rowe operating in that space you know to combine with or to play him in I think that could be really really helpful Martinelli's movement would take defenders away you know and create space for Aubameyang I'd like to see it and um, you know Lacazette put in a hell of a shift against Chelsea so in a in a period where we need to rotate I think it I think it might be well what happens what do you Mm. think yeah maybe I wouldn't be surprised to see it um I wonder if, I mean, it'd be so tempting to play Martinelli again. And I think if you're looking at the next two games mm-hmm. and you're looking at what West Brom did against Liverpool, Liverpool. Um, I I would be slightly fearful of exposing Martinelli and Smith Rowe to that. Do you know what I mean? I just feel mm-hmm. like an Allardyce team... These are precious jewels that we have that we need to look after. And I think at some point during this break, they're going to need, or this period of games, they're going to need a little bit of a break, which isn't to say they can't contribute or come off the bench, but I would be looking to try and build on the momentum that we created against Chelsea, against Brighton, and therefore start with something similar and then when you go to West Brom, when you go to an Allardyce team who are going to play in an Allardyce way, maybe you look at the the experienced players a bit more, and hopefully experienced players with a kick up the arse, having seen what these young guys can do. But Aubameyang for Lacazette is something I would certainly think of for Brighton as well. Yeah, I think... Um... I think you're right. I think, you know, having had the result against Chelsea, you want to continue that momentum. And I think you want to, if possible, keep those guys in the team. I think we might see more rotation 
against West Brom. But mm. yeah, let's wait and see. I, I, I'm intrigued to see how Martinelli and Aubameyang combine because there's an overlap, I think, in their style yeah. of play and yeah. in the areas they like to operate in. Yeah. Um, Fionn, who's at AJ Fionn, says, firstly, Merry Christmas, James and Andrew. Merry Christmas to you too. Merry Christmas. Uh, my question Saka provided some much-needed cover for Bellerin defensively and looked amazing going forward on the right. Is this the end for Pepe? If yeah, so, do you think we should invest in another younger and up-and-coming right winger? I had a question from Angus Kwong on Twitter who said, what price would you sell Pepe for, I guess, on, this, on the subject of players who could leave in mm. January? I mean, I don't think we're quite at that point yet, personally. Um, I don't think that will happen. I think maybe in the summer it could. In terms of what you would... I mean, do I fear for Pepe? It's bad news for Pepe that Saka looks good on the right, I think. It's bad news for Pepe that Willian is out of the team and he can't, you know, he can't get into it. Yeah. And Martinelli being back is possibly bad news for Pepe, Mm. you know? In terms of being an option in wide areas... um, uh, it's funny because you know when Pepe was sent off against Leeds and then came back with those excellent Europa League performances I think we were all thinking he might be the guy to come in and breathe life into this team and it's kind of ended up being Martinelli um, who's sort of come from not from nowhere but maybe come back sooner than we anticipated yeah. from the injury and I think that is bad news for Pepe and I think that there's just a fundamental thing where it feels like Arteta doesn't quite fancy him and I'm not sure any amount of Europa League performances are, are going to yeah. change that dramatically. What do you think? I think the the crux of the issue is that Arteta doesn't really fancy him as a player. Yeah. Um, and I, think I don't that's... think that means he thinks he's not talented. No, exactly. I don't, no, yeah, let me clarify. I don't think... That makes Pepe necessarily a terrible player, or it doesn't even make Arteta right necessarily. No, you know? no, no, no. I just think there, that sometimes a manager has doubts about a player, and you can see that in the way that he he uh, picks his team and and everything else. I mean, everything he says about Pepe. I know he had that little thing after the red card where he said he let the team down, but you know. Afterwards, he was very strong about supporting him and he was asked about Pepe in the pre-game press conference for for the Chelsea game and he spoke about him and said, you know, I'm here to support all, you know, Nicholas, he's a good player, blah, blah, blah. You know, he speaks positively about him, but he doesn't pick him. You know, one of the first things that we did this summer was go out and get a guy to play in his position, an old washed up guy. And that that you read into much more than what a manager says in a press conference where he is going to be um, positive and supportive of players in public, right? Mm. So I just think that's what lies at the heart uh, of this matter in in that the qualities Nicolas Pepe possesses as a footballer, which were on evidence at Lille, are not qualities he's been able to reproduce at Arsenal, either under Unai Emery or under Mikel Arteta on any consistent basis. And I think Arteta is looking for something different from the player that he wants to pick in that position. Yeah, I mean, look, Saka played that role the other night. He covered more ground than any other player on the pitch, I think. You know, he really... Mm. 
uh, I think up to said 12.5k. I mean, he works really, really hard and he does give you something going both directions. Um, there's a real efficiency to his mm. game and he's a huge part of this club's future. I don't think that's his final position, right wing. I don't think mm. that's where he ends up. No, me but neither. In the short term, it's bad news for Pepe. And am I right in thinking, hang on, let me just double check this. Pepe, he's 25. Okay. He's 25. I mean, what is a realistic return in the transfer market for Pepe? If Arsenal decided to cut their losses, which I, I'm not sure, like I said, I don't think we're in that place yet. And I'm not sure if it would be the right decision because I think we lack players in that age bracket. But if they did, what, what I, was what's realistic? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if someone offered you half of what you paid for him back, you'd probably take that at this stage. Mm. But oh, yeah, who's, I, think, I think you'd have to. I don't think you get... Well, I can't see you being offered more than that. But who's buying him? Yeah, That's I don't the know. thing. I mean, it's... You know, I... I I don't dislike PSG, him as a player. Maybe. Like, do you know what I mean? Like a, yeah, a French like, team with money. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. But I just think his his stock is a bit low because of what's been happening at Arsenal collectively and individually as well from, from his perspective. So I just... Look, yeah, I don't get rid of Willian. You'd sooner get rid of Willian. Yeah. There are reasons that's going to be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. I think they're both... They're both difficult. Look... Um, I think we better leave it there because we've been going for some time and there's uh, there's people out there who are waiting for this podcast um, yeah, because they want to relive that, that Chelsea win. So hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, so thank you very much, as always, for being here. We're going to have a preview podcast for the Brighton game for Patreon. If you uh, want to sign up, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It's a, a five or a month. You get all the benefits, the Discord, ad-free podcast, free audio book, um, uh, extra bonus podcasts, and lots more besides as well. We're going to do a, a short thing after the Brighton game. Not a, a full Arscast extra, but we'll do a, a post-Brighton thing for you on Wednesday morning. Um, so all we can do again is say happy Christmas. Thanks for the present, Arsenal. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.